All right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leaving Churchianity podcast. And we've been talking in the last couple episodes about the importance of observing God's holy days and how they work to unite us together as a body around the salvation plan for humanity and how they how they work to sanctify us and how they operate sort of as a framework or as a, a safeguard to guard the true gospel from generation to generation and to keep it from being perverted and changed as obviously you know that the enemy is trying to do and has been trying to do. And so we're talking about what we also, what we can learn prophetically from each of these holy days. So diving right in, in this episode, I said, we're just going to jump right into the Feast of Trumpets, which is the first of the fall holy days. And so that's what we're going to do. This Feast of Trumpets, as the scripture calls it, is also referred to commonly nowadays as Rosh Hashanah. Now let's take a look at this holy day and what it includes and what are the different truths that we can learn from it. So first of all, we find the holy day instituted in the Bible in the book of Leviticus in chapter number 23. And in verse 23, it says, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. And you shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. All right, so what's what's required in this holy day? Well, basically, it's, I mean, it's really simple. It's a memorial day. It's a time of rest and a blowing of a trumpet. But that doesn't mean that there aren't important and very important spiritual lessons for us to glean each year as we celebrate this memorial holiday. So you have rest. You have an offering made by fire, which we'll talk about later, and make a loud noise, basically. That's it. All right, so first of all, what can we learn from this rest? Well, the Bible says it is to be a Sabbath rest, okay? No customary work, which is a picture of the kingdom, of the millennial reign that's yet to come in the future. Now, obviously, a lot of people will say, oh, don't put us back under the bondage of this you know, these holy days of God. Well, is do you feel the bondage there? Is it really a bondage to take a day out of your year and rest and focus on the things of God? No, no, of course not. It's simply a day of rest and reflection on the rest that we will enjoy in the coming kingdom when Christ comes back for us. So looking at this concept of rest, all right, God's rest in Scripture includes his peace. His, the confidence of salvation in him, reliance on his strength and assurance of the future heavenly home that we are to inherit. As the Messiah said in the book of Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will what? You will find rest for your souls, he says. Now, false teachers will tell you that we rest from having to work to earn our salvation. They try to tell you that that's how salvation used to be obtained. But that's not true. The truth is, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's what makes them a false teacher. Okay, take Genesis 15, 6, for instance, where it says, Abraham believed God, believed what he said, believed his promise, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 4, verses 3, verses 9, verse 22, 
over and over and over in there. The Apostle James talks about it in his book, chapter 2, verse 23, where he says, The scripture was fulfilled, which says, quote, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God, James says. So what will we rest from? What is this rest that we're looking forward to in the future? Well, we will rest from our labor, our striving against our flesh. That's a huge part of it. That inner battle that struggles inside each one of us between doing what our flesh desires that is selfish and hurtful and doing what you know to be right. There's a battle there between the two. And we carry around with us this constant source of struggle. That's one of the things that marks a child of God. There's this struggle in you of wanting to do what's right. Paul called it this body of death, he said. And we have this struggle that that restricts us, that we fight on a daily basis. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 12, I believe, he says, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. And that's exactly what he's touching on, is these evil affections that we have, these evil desires inside of us, and then the desires to do good, and to be good in that that war that's going on inside of us. But one day the trumpet of God will sound and our struggle will forever be over. That is one of the beautiful promises of Almighty God. He will come and in the new covenant that he gives us, as he says in Ezekiel 36, 26, we will get a new heart and that fight will be over. We won't have that struggle anymore. The struggle will be canceled. As Galatians 5.17 says, puts it this way, it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. There's that war inside you. And he says, These two are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot freely do the things that you wish. So he's talking about that struggle inside of us. And the day will come in the kingdom of God when that struggle is over. We won't have that anymore. So we will rest from that. And we will also rest from all pain, all sorrow and trials. As the Bible says, no more tears. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and that struggle will be over. So on the Feast of Trumpets, we observe a day of rest set aside as a holy day, okay, as a memorial, as it says. And we use it to meditate on these truths and celebrate the rest that is found in the Messiah that will be enjoyed in the kingdom when he returns and enforces this new covenant that he talks about. And all these prophecies of peace will finally take place. As it says, the Feast of Trumpets is to be a memorial of rest. This day that rehearses in faith, celebrating what will happen on that great day that we continue to look forward to, that the Bible says describes as we continue to hope for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. So that's some of what we can worship him for concerning the rest that is found in him. But secondly, it says that we are to make a loud noise. And each year on this day, God's people over the whole earth blow the shofar trumpet made of a ram's horn, just as they did in biblical times. It's also a time of shouting and cheering. 
one of the things that comes to mind, one of the stories in Scripture that um, embraces this is the story of Jericho. When they gathered around the city seven days and they blew the trumpets and they shouted on the seventh day and God calls, caused the walls of that city to literally fall down from the blowing of the trumpet and the shouting together. And there's spiritual pictures there of these walls coming down and how they will be flattened in the kingdom and the battles will forever be over. We won't have these battles anymore and it will finally be a time of peace on this earth. And so the Feast of Trumpets is to be a memorial, a remembrance of what has he has done in the past and a memorial, a celebration of what he is going to do in the future as we look towards that through the eyes of faith, hoping in his promises. So the Feast of Trumpets is to be a memorial, a, a time of remembrance, but remembrance for what? Like what are the spiritual lessons that we can learn from observing this holy day as we look throughout Scripture? Well, one of the best ways for that is to look at what events and what spiritual truths surround the blowing of the shofar throughout Scripture. First, you got to understand that the sound of the trumpet comes from the horn of the ram that was caught in the thicket that saved Isaac's life back in the book of Genesis. This sacrificing of Isaac and the ram being switched for him at the last second is an obvious picture of Christ, an obvious picture of the Messiah. And the ram was caught in the thorns of an acacia bush, the same thorn bush that was placed on the Messiah's head 2,000 years later in the crown of thorns when he was crucified for us. So the horn is taken from the ram. That's where we get the shofar. And the shofar sound is a very unique sound. It's a sound of God's grace. It's a prophetic sound of the Messiah, the lamb. And here are some of the spiritual truths you can meditate on and worship him for each year on this holy day. Now, I'm not saying that this is an exhaustive list by any means, but these are just a list of the ones I have come up with in my personal study. And I just want to share them with you. And hopefully they will really open up your mind and your eyes to understand this holy day. And you can see some of these spiritual truths and it will deepen your worship of the almighty. First of all, the sound of the shofar recalls the sacrifice of the son of God. Okay. That's right off the bat. That's the huge one. And obviously we know the most famous ram in the Torah, in the scripture, is that one that we just talked about when we had the offering of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. And you have the Almighty's famous prophetic words spoken in that moment in Genesis 22, 8. And I love the way that the King James words it because it says, God will provide himself a lamb. Some modern versions will say, well, God will provide, provide for himself a lamb. Well, he provides himself a lamb. And I believe that is absolutely a prophetic foreshadowing or prophecy that he himself was going to be the one to be the lamb that was crucified, that really was slain from the foundation of the world because that's when God determined to do it in his redemptive plan for humanity. And Genesis 22, 13 says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. So the horn becomes the trumpet. The trumpet 
which was caught in the thicket by the horns, which is exactly what God uses to bless the nation in many, many ways. Then some of which I'm going to list. I can't do them all, but I'm going to list some of them. And the sound of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah recalls the merit of bind, the binding of Isaac and that act of faith of Abraham and how he implored God for mercy on the merit of the sacrifice of his son, which happened at the appointed time in the future. The whole story of Abraham and Isaac is just a foreshadowing of that. But that's where we get this, this ram's horn that is to be used throughout Scripture as the, the trumpet of the nation. And the sound of that trumpet recalls the sacrifice of the Son of God. And that act of faith of Abraham willing to sacrifice his son and how Abraham is called the father of the faith. So that's number one. Number two, the sound of the shofar represents the warning alarm or siren, as I call it. Ezekiel 33, 4 says, Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. So it's meant to be an alarm, a siren, to wake us up and to rouse our slumbering souls throughout the year and focus, help us focus on the things of the kingdom of God and inspire us to repent and to keep our lives clean before our Lord. And another little bonus here, I think it's, it's kind of meant to freak Satan out and to remind him once a year, just to remind him of what's coming for him in the future. As the whole world, all the people of the world that are on the side of the Almighty blow this horn together, you got to wonder, Satan's seeing this, what is he thinking every time that that happens every year? And just as a little bonus, I've heard it said that the sound of the shofar also represents the sound of offered forgiveness. That in the days of the temple, the priesthood sounded the trumpet blast every morning to announce when the opening of the temple gates happened, which symbolized the opening of the gates of heaven to the people to receive their prayers, you know, their prayers of repentance. So the sound of the trumpet that's blown on Rosh Hashanah reminds the congregation in this way to repent before it's too late. So it's a picture of really the daily offering throughout the history of Israel when they had the tabernacle, when they had the temple, and how they would repent of their sins. So for us today, it is a memorial to look back on that and to think about these things and the progression of forgiveness that's offered to us. So the sound represents the, the warning, the alarm to keep us focused on these things throughout the year. And thirdly, it's the sound of war and destruction. You look throughout scripture, it's all over the place. The sound of the shofar blowing when war is taking place and when destruction is coming. And specifically, it will bring to mind, if you have the Hebrew mindset and you know the history of Israel, it'll bring to mind all of the different destructions that they encountered because they simply would not obey God. They obeyed their own stomachs, their own desires, what they wanted to do. And so consequently, they inherited a lot of curses and they inherited a lot of destruction. And we know that armies in the ancient East used the shofar to sound battle cries during sieges of cities and assaults. 
For instance, we read in Jeremiah chapter 4, it says, Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pained in my very heart, Jeremiah says. My heart makes a noise in me, and I cannot hold my peace, because you have heard, oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet being the alarm of war, he says. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is plundered. And suddenly my tents are plundered and my curtains in a moment. How long will I see the flag and hear the sound of the trumpets? Jeremiah is lamenting what's going on and what he's seeing. And so the sound of the trumpet today is to remind us of these stories. And as Paul says, we are to learn from these. The stories that happened that are recorded were recorded for our learning that we would not make the same mistakes that Israel made. So the sound of the shofar on the Feast of Trumpets each year remembers as a memorial the destruction of the temple and reminds us to pray for its rebuilding, the signal of his return, as we see of the prophecies of the end times. And so many times Jerusalem has had the sound of war in the land and they've experienced so much death and destruction and separation from God's blessings which is exactly what God said would happen back in the book of Deuteronomy 28, where he gives the blessings and the curses. And we see that that has played out time and time again throughout Israel's history. And we've seen how merciful and long-suffering God is, but then they fail again and they repent and they fail again. And what happened to them? They lost the promised land. The first iteration of the kingdom, they lost it. And they were separated from God's will. And they ended up in two different exiles for not obeying, ironically, the Sabbath. They wouldn't obey the Sabbath for X amount of years. And so God gave them the commensurate amount of judgment to be exiled among the nations. And you had the exile into Syria and you had the exile into Babylon, where God was trying to teach them as a loving father to obey him. And But they wouldn't do it. And so they, they got the destruction of the holy temple. And the top, the 10 northern tribes were dispersed among the nations, which we still see today. They never returned to the land and they're still dispersed among the nations of the world. But it's prophesied that they will wake up and that people will wake up towards the end times and they will return to following the ways of God and observing his holy days, which is exactly what we're talking about. And that will be one of the signs that God is beginning to draw his people together and that the end is drawing near, the culmination of his plan. But Israel has had to go through this for the last over 2,000 years, and they ended up, they forfeited their place to the Gentiles, which is a constant thorn in their side and very humiliating experience for them. So the trumpet sound of war brings all of this to memory. These are all lessons that we are to look over and rehearse and learn from them and break the pattern of sin that they haven't broken in all of these years. Remember, Israel is to be our example. As, as I said before, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which says, Now these things happen for our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And now all these things happened to them for, as examples for us. They were written for our admonition, Paul says, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. 
And at the end of the passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he says, therefore, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So these are some of the lessons that we can learn from the sound of the shofar blown every year, specifically of the wars and the destructions that have happened. And obviously, it hints towards the war and destruction that's going to happen in the future. But we'll get to that in a minute. But fourthly, the sound of the trumpet announces the Messiah's return. As we all know, he's going to come back with the sound of the trumpet. And I would argue, just as a side note, for the third time. See, the first heavenly trumpet sounded, and most people don't realize this, but the first trumpet sounded at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, when the Ten Commandments were given, when the law of God was given. And the last trumpet will be heard when Messiah returns. See, if we look at Exodus 19, verse 16, it says, Then it came to pass on the third day, when they're gathered around the mountain, in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of a trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled, the Bible says. And the reason I say the third time is because in this first time here, you have the giving of of the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, as Israel calls them. Israel calls them the Ten Words. And we know that Jesus is the Word. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the Word made flesh. And so I believe it was one of the first times here that he manifests himself to mankind but in a different way. He manifested in his character, in his commands. But ultimately, we see from the war and destruction over those thousands of years that Israel rejected that. And so he came the second time in the first century. And you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that record the story of him coming in the flesh and walking amongst mankind and showing them, okay, okay, guys, this is how you do it, all right? He came to fully preach and to live out his example for mankind to follow. And obviously he promises he will return once more in the future to gather his own and to bring the culmination of the plan of redemption for for humanity and really redemption for the whole world, even creation, because as Romans 8 says, the, the whole universe and creation groans waiting for that day of redemption to come in the future when it is set free from the curse. So the blowing of the trumpet each year brings all of these truths to mind year after year and helps us to remember these things and to focus on them. And it helps to refine our understanding and to sanctify us year by year. So people also often say, well, the Feast of Trumpets, I mean, it's got nothing to it. You rest, you blow a trumpet. Like, what can we learn from that? Well, these are all spiritual truths that we can learn from that. And that as we meditate on these things, like all these individual Bible stories, we learn from them. We learn from their example, and then we change our lives accordingly. And it helps, really helps to inform our worship of the Almighty. But I want to move through this list quickly. So we'll jump on to number five. Number five, it reminds the bride to make herself ready. And see, that's one of the things that we need to realize is that the picture of us is a bride that's getting ready for the great wedding day. We are to make sure that we are unspotted from the world. As James 1 says, for instance, therefore laying aside all filthiness 
and overflow of wickedness in our lives, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, because that leads to deceiving yourselves, James says. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a natural man who observes his natural face in a mirror, and he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the law, the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, which is exactly what we're doing, we're looking at the law of God and seeing how it is liberty and is not a forgetful hearer, James says, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. See, we see Israel and how they they were blessed at sometimes, but then they got off. They did their own thing and they received all of these unblessings, we'll call them, all these destructions and penalties, okay, which is the natural consequence for disobeying God and living in sin. So as James encourages us, as Paul did, look, learn from their examples. Don't be a forgetful here, but be a doer of the work, and this one will be blessed in what he does. You see, it's the same message. And if anyone among you, James says, thinks that he is religious, but does not bridle his tongue, for instance, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their troubles and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, James says. So as the bride who's getting ready, we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world and to do what the word actually says. Which leads into the second truth of this bride illustration, making herself ready, which is wash their robes. So we see this in Revelation twenty-two fourteen, at the end of the Bible, where it says, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now, some Bible versions will say, well, blessed are those who wash their robes. But other versions will say, blessed are those who do his commandments. Well, that's not a conflicting message. It's the same thing. But the doing of the commandments is the clearer interpretation. And you look back just two chapters earlier in chapter 19, verse 7, it talks more about this and proves that point. Where it says in verse 7 of chapter 19, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You see, so the the scripture defines itself. As a bride, we are to make ourselves ready and get ready for this. Make yourself ready and cleanse ourselves in the righteous acts of the saints, in our lifestyle, purifying ourselves for the marriage that is to come. So the trumpet sound reminds the bride each year to make herself ready. Now, those are just five important truths that we can meditate on each year as we observe the holy day and we worship our Savior. But I'm going to give you a couple more. I'm just going to run through them kind of quick so that I don't run out of time. Number six that I have on my list is the sound of the shofar each year causes us to celebrate the coronation of the king. 
And that's that's kind of obvious, but I figured we should we should mention it anyway. Because we know in the Bible that the blast of the shofar provided, you know, fanfare and everything for the acclamation of a king. When the king was coronated on that day that he was coronated at the beginning of his reign. You can look it up in First Kings chapter one. You see that it happened with the King Solomon. The trumpets were blown announcing the coronation of King Solomon. And the sound of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah symbolizes our acceptance of God as king. And it looks forward to the day when the kingdom of God will be revealed physically here on earth. Currently, the kingdom of God operates in the spiritual realm in him ruling and reigning in our hearts. But the prophecies are very clear that he's going to establish his rule and reign here on earth in the kingdom, and the trumpet plays a huge part in that. It announces the beginning of that process, really. So we see that the festival of trumpets each year operates as, like, as we saw, a warning sign, a warning alarm or siren, okay, reminds us of the anticipation of the the coronation of the king that's going to happen in the future. We look forward to uniting with him. We look forward to the return of the Messiah as king over his kingdom. Finally, like all of the prophecies throughout the scriptures, finally being fulfilled fully when his kingdom is here on earth. And the sound reminds us of that and causes us to worship that and get worship toward him in that way and to get ready for that for that prophecies to be fulfilled. And each year you go through this as a rehearsal. And the sound reminds us that we are in a spiritual war in this life. As Paul says, we're in a spiritual war against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world in the spiritual realm. It reminds us that we're in this war and reminds us to get ready as the bride, to make ourselves ready, to wash our robes and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And finally, to celebrate and look forward to the the celebration of the future resurrection. And I know that's the big one. So I wanted to end with that one. That's the big one that comes to mind when the shofar is blown. Because everyone knows Paul's prophecy in 1 Thessalonians 4 when it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words, Paul says. He also talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 51, where he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep or die is what's being talked about, but we shall all be changed, he says. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet call, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible, he says, must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, 
quote, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades or grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, Paul says. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So the blowing of the shofar on the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, which every word you want to or name you want to call it, reminds us each year of this future resurrection of the dead, the culmination of the hope of salvation when, when we're risen from the dead and given our glorified bodies and we don't have to struggle with that sin anymore. We don't have to struggle with this anymore because the culmination of redemption, salvation has finally come in its fullness. And that's when we have the culmination of the blessed gospel of the true and living God, quite frankly. It's the culmination of everything. And it's marked by the blowing of the trumpet. So what should be our response to this? In, in wrapping this up, what should be our response to all of this? And really, it's the last part of the feast. Because remember, you have rest. You have the blowing of the trumpet. And these are some of the truths that we've learned searching through Scripture that I have learned. And, and I'm sure that there's more. But these are some things that we can learn and worship him for and celebrate and meditate on e each year to sanctify us. And then you have the offering made by fire. Now we know from Deuteronomy 12, 13 and 14, where God says, you are not to do whatever you want in worshiping me. You are not to offer your sacrifices in whatever place you choose, but you are to do it only in the place which I determine. In the land that I determine. And obviously we know from, from the destruction talked about before that he destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and we are not allowed to offer any sacrifices outside of that. You're not just allowed to go offer sacrifices in your backyard. But how do we celebrate this part of the holy day each year? You know, make an offering. Well, it's become be an offering, if I can say it that way. We are to be an offering. As Paul says, we operate in the spirit of the law, right? Not necessarily in the letter. Now, the letter of the law is not bad, but the letter just teaches us about the spirit of the law. What is the spirit? What is the intent of God's commandments, his instructions for life? As Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual. It's all made to conform us spiritually into the image of Christ, into the image of our Messiah. So in response to all that Messiah has done for us, we offer our lives, right? Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual act of worship. As David said in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are what? a broken and a contrite heart. That's what, that's what the Psalm says. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken and contrite spirit, humility before him and offering your lives as a set apart sacrifice for him. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy 
He says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. So you see it again. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. So you want revival. That's how you get it. Through humility and being contrite before your Lord and your God. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, and I won't recite it all for you or read it, but he says the day is coming when we must all stand before the judgment seat of God. And there's going to be a refining fire that burns away all of the wood, hay, and stubble, right? But it reveals all the gold, silver, and precious stone. Okay, everything you did that is good. So this offering made by fire is a picture of that glorious day. And how are we to respond with that? Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, right? He is our Lord, our role model, our image that we are to imitate in body and in spirit. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery or a thing to be grasped, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on himself the form of a servant or a slave and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became what? What does the scripture say? Christ became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so obedient even to the point of death. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Yeshua Jesus is Messiah, that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you confess Messiah as Lord, not just Savior, and obey him. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, what does he say? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so we are to be like Messiah. We are to work it out with fear and trembling. As Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, those who endure to the end, who persevere, who work out their salvation will be saved. That's what we're called to do. We're called to repent and believe the gospel of the coming kingdom. That's This is the gospel of the coming kingdom, that the kingdom is coming and all prophecies will be fulfilled. And we are to believe, put our faith in him and live accordingly. It's very simple. It's very simple. And it's a lifestyle. It is a continuous, repeated action that we do our whole life. We humble ourselves we live contrite to the one we call master. And one day the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And all praise to God for that. So in conclusion, I, I know we ran through this pretty quickly, but there's obviously there's a lot of stuff and there's even more that we didn't get to. I didn't get to talk about all of the traditions that have developed over time and everything and you know all of that. But I hope this brief study into the first of the fall holy days of God, this this festival of trumpets has been, you know, I hope it's been helpful and somewhat enlightening that it's helped open your eyes a little bit to the richness of God's holy days and what we've been missing 
not celebrating them each year and what we can learn from them and how they they operate as one of God's mechanisms to sanctify us and to purify his people little by little each year and to keep that gospel message pure and unadulterated, to keep that gospel message the same and not allowing it to change from year to year. Why? Because we're rehearsing the same thing every year and that keeps the message pure. Now, obviously, you know, we didn't have time to look into the different traditions, as I said, that have developed over the years that are associated with this day, but you can look those up on your own time and and see how these different things, different things that you can do that help illustrate these spiritual truths. But, you know, we all pick those up as we go along, as we worship God according to his ways, as he said he is to be worshiped. So in the next episode, we'll take a look at the second of the fall feast days, which is the Day of Atonement, the holiest day of the year. But until then, may God richly bless you in your pursuit to know him more intimately and to worship him more and more in your daily walk.